Hey everyone, I am Reva and just want to take a moment and thank you for listening to our studio podcast. Although we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, we are grateful for your support to see the message of Jesus go out all over the world. In case you are not aware, we have a YouTube channel, which you can find the link in our podcast bio. We hope you enjoy this week's talk and it encourages you and it helps you to be the human God designed you to be. So with that, let's get right to it. Get right into it today. If this is your first time in the studio, you came on a wonderful day. It's kind of fun to have everybody in the same space for one gathering. And we have our 630 crowd in here as well. And last week we started a series on the Holy Spirit. And we basically just kind of laid a very introductory foundation for the Holy Spirit. And I know many of you were here last week. If you happen to miss it, I do highly, highly recommend to go listen to podcast because it is part one of what we're talking about today. These are definitely two standalone, but they are, they are segueing into each other. And I know we'll probably go at least another week or two. And next Sunday, Shana is preaching next Sunday. So make sure you're back for that. Uh, we're just ex- very excited about that. And, but I know I'll probably do at least one more a week on the Holy Spirit specifically. And for those of you that know me well, I, I like to live in the abstract world of communication. I love to live in, the, in colors, dimensions, and layers, and that's just my natural go-to. Um, I've aborted that approach on this topic because I felt like it was really important that we lay a very clear foundation and to approach it more of a study. So last week we, we approached the talk, it was less preach and it was more of a study. And we're gonna do the same thing today. If you are not in the habit of note taking or taking pictures of slides or of any form, today will be another great day to start that in your life. Because we are going to go through a study today and talk about part two in relation to the Holy Spirit. A very quick review, last week's intention was to capture everyone's attention no matter where you are at personally with your experience and your understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I do recognize in this room there's people in here that have no understanding, potentially no awareness, maybe even just hearing the phrase Holy Spirit is very new to you. And then we have people in here all the way to the other end of the spectrum where that's all they know. Their entire life revolves around the Holy Spirit. And so last week we took a time to kind of lay a foundation, which at the end was an invitation for everyone to step deeper into the reality of the Holy Spirit. And so that was last week. We kind of shaped the study around a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, do you not know that you are a temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So our talk last week was primarily focused around this idea that God, since the beginning of time, had desired to be amongst his people. And it wasn't until after the cross he wanted it to be made available to all humanity that he would actually live within you. And we actually made a connection. The Spirit of God that you read about in the Old Testament is the same as the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament. We're not dealing with two different spirits spread out over humanity. We're actually talking about the same Spirit of God, and I believe the stories that you read about in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way to Malachi are trailers, are are hints of what's meant to be normative, what's meant to be expected as a follower of Jesus. But it wasn't until the cross 
and then we revisited Acts chapter 2 last week, around the day that Jesus said, go wait for me in the upper room. They went into the upper room and they waited. They waited for a period of time and then God shows up. And so that was kind of the the foundation for last week. Today, we're going to jump into a phrase that is used throughout Christendom, especially in, in different streams of the church, but it's the phrase of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Today, we're going to focus primarily around that idea, that concept. And believe it or not, for some of you, it's really simply like, oh, it's so clear. But believe it or not, it's actually quite complex throughout theological human history has become a point of major tension, like what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It doesn't make sense, and what about this situation? And we've got all these man-made algorithms trying to understand something that the Bible uses as a phrase called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to focus on today. So if you want to write that down the top of your notes, I would do that because that's what we're going, to, we're going to study on today. When you study scripture, it's it's important to realize that the Bible is a collection of writings. It's a collection of writing that was put together by around 40 separate authors. And the span of time was roughly 1,500 to 1,600 years in three different languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, and on three different continents, Africa, Europe, and Asia. So you're talking about 40 different authors that had, most of them never met each other because it covered almost 1,500 to 1,600 years. And yet the plot continues throughout scripture. It's continual, it's seamless, and it's flawless. No other book in human history has that level of accuracy with the complexity of how it was put together. Why is this important? Because you have to understand that different writers wrote it from different geographic locations. They're in a variety of circumstances while experiencing different emotions. And yet, at the end of the day, there's a seamless thread throughout Scripture from beginning all the way to the end. And why this is important, because the Bible is a very complex book, and yet it's simple as well. This is why you can write or read 21-day devotionals about the Bible. Simple, beautiful, bite-sized. And yet, the other side of the coin, the Bible is one of the most complex books to study and understand that theologians and scholars and followers of Jesus Christ have been grappling with the truth that lie within Scripture. I believe the Bible has no end in the sense of revelation because it's written about a God that has no end. So I want us to understand, I want us to wrap our heads around the idea the Bible is complex and it's simple. There is no other book in existence that had this level of accuracy and a continual seamless plot. And this is important because as we go into the study today, we have to understand that when one author says one word, you can't use the definition of that author's definition against another author's definition of the same exact word. For example, the other day I was having a conversation with someone and we were discussing city and how do we love a city well and dreaming big ideas and small ideas and the word came up called the kingdom and the person I was interacting with said, I only want to do things that are kingdom. I'm like, that's right. And for those of you that don't know what that word means in kind of the Christian circle, it's this idea that the kingdom of God is coming and Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's basically God's domain that is coming to earth. 
And most of the commands of Jesus have nothing about leaving earth. All of them have to do with bringing the heaven, kingdom of heaven to earth. So when you hear the phrase, I just want to be about the father's business or about the kingdom, what you're essentially saying is, whatever God wants to do on the earth, I want to be a part of that. So we're having this dialogue, and I said, that's right, I think that's a beautiful ambition. Let's be involved in the kingdom. But I said, but what's your definition of the kingdom? Because if your definition of the kingdom is X and Y, and mine is A and B, you won't get involved in what I'm doing because you don't think it's the kingdom. And I, vice versa, I might not think your version or definition of the kingdom is kingdom. You see, my own definition of a certain word could be of the same exact word you may use, but you may have a different definition. This is why the Bible is so complex. Different authors will say baptism, and another author will say baptism. And you might find a definition that you like and say, well, that's what all the other authors meant by that word. That's not true. You have to isolate what that author's context, his intent, and the cultural ramification and the theological ramification of how they meant to use that word. And then you isolate it to that author. But you can't bridge it and say, well, that's what this author meant. No, this author used the same word, but they have a different definition, different context. This is actually really beautiful because this allows us to expand our understanding, especially on this topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's take into account that if we don't, if we don't isolate that what this author meant by this definition of this word and we bridge it over to someone else, we start dissecting and reducing scripture down to something that we like and it makes sense to where we're at in that stage of life. And one of the challenges around the conversation of the Holy Spirit, it's such an experiential thing. We can't have only an experiential-based theology. And that's the challenge with this stream of the church that is very much into experiencing God is oftentimes we disregard the biblical accounts of the conversation and we base our entire view on my personal experience. It's one of the most dangerous things we can do. So I don't want to imply that we don't have experiences. The experiences you have with God are fit into the equation of a proper approach to Scripture from a theological standpoint. Are you guys with me? I'm talking fast because I don't have the most time that I prefer to have. So uh, to be honest with you, we might get to the end, timed up, and we'll just crash land this plane, hit eject, and you land wherever you want to land, and we'll pick it up in a few weeks. So let's, let's unpack what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about here? We know the word baptism in the sense of water. And just a few months ago, we had our very first baptism out in the lovely blacktop pavement parking lot out there. It was one of the most poetic, beautiful, and I'm not exaggerating here, it was one of the most poetic, beautiful moments in my life, and I know in a lot of our lives, like it just was like the aesthetics of it all were horrible. <laughs> but it was so evident God was at play, and it was so beautiful. So it actually made it perfectly beautiful. So we understand baptism, the idea of baptism in water, that you get immersed in water and you come out a new creation, which resembles when you put your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are washed clean and you come out what we call a new creation. So we understand the baptism of water, but when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about at this point? 
When you study the topic, there are several people that you can draw from, but two that have quite a bit of content in Scripture, the Apostle Paul and Luke. Apostle Paul wrote roughly about 25% of the New Testament, and the Apostle Luke wrote roughly 25% of the New Testament. And a lot of people study Paul's definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but in recent years, the emphasis has actually added Luke's study or Luke's narrative and description of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So for today, for this conversation, this study, I wanted to take a brief look at Paul's definition of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then I want to take a brief look at Luke's understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And our approach today is not either or, our approach is both and. So as you listen to this content today, I don't want you to say, well, I like that one more than that one. That one makes more sense to me. You don't have that luxury. If you want to embrace the entirety of Scripture, you don't have the luxury of cherry-picking what makes sense to you. But you have the benefit. You have access to this infinite aspect of God by understanding there's different authors that are talking about a similar thing, and they give this multiple perspectives and views on something so crucial of what we're talking about today. If you can put the first slide up, I want to read, this is from a man named Peter Davids. He's, he's the author of various, do you have it? Reva, are you in the room? Okay, I'll read it to you and there's some more slides coming up. There's an, um, a commentator, a commentary, his name is Peter Davids. He's the author of various commentaries for the New International Commentary Series. He writes this, each New Testament writer uses baptism in his own way. In ritual context, baptism indicates ritual union, ritual overwhelming, or ritual cleansing. Luke, as we have seen, refers to the overwhelming as the mean to being empowered by the Spirit. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he said he refers to the refers to ritual cleansing. Paul in Romans 6 seems to have overtones of both overwhelming and union. What that means is union with Christ in his death and his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 12, the aspect of union is the most prominent without any reference to death. This last phrase I want you to pay attention to. The phrase of baptism is a truly a very flexible metaphor. Context alone can determine what the author means by it. It must not be predefined by another author. So the first point I want you to get today, we have to understand what Paul was referring to and what Luke was referring to. Now there's a slide of Paul's view. Do we have these slides by chance? We do, okay. Paul's view. If you want to take a picture of this or refer to it later, Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he, most of the time, when he's referring to the baptism or making reference to the Holy Spirit, he is more referring to the redemptive nature of the Spirit of God or the regenerative nature of the Spirit of God. And Paul's emphasis is more around that when the Spirit comes into your life, it makes you a new creation. He actually goes to extreme length to say, you are not Christ if you don't have the Spirit in you. And Paul goes on and on. Let me read a couple of these passages to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. 
Romans 8, 9, 11 says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who now dwells in you. Let me just pause right here. What Paul is emphasizing, and this is his emphasis around the spirit, around the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you to make you alive again is to actually regenerate you and make you a new creation. And with that, most people will conclude that the Holy Spirit enters you when you say yes to Jesus. The next question you have to ask, when did this all happen? When did the Holy Spirit come into my life? Did it happen in some other day? Did it happen when I go to kids camp? Did it happen when I come up front? When did this happen? And Paul largely held to the view that when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your life to regenerate you and make you a new creation. It was all about life in Christ. And that is Paul, largely his theological understanding, at least what he wrote in Scripture, of his perspective on the Holy Spirit. Let's keep reading here. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 7, but the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The last verse on the screen, we're going to read it. Paul got a lot of his theological cues around the Spirit from this passage in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 and 20. And it says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. Look at this last verse. That they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Why is that last passage important? That passage was written in an Old Testament context prior to the cross and prior to the day of Pentecost. What Paul understood is that there is no way to follow God without the Holy Spirit. It is humanly impossible to be successful if that, that word, the tricky word in this context, but there's no way to truly and purely follow Jesus the way that you're designed to absence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you have to do everything in your own merit. And I think for those of us that have followed Jesus for any length of time, learn quickly, we can't do it. We can do it for maybe a stretch, but it can't be sustained. So Paul emphasized massively around the Holy Spirit. Listen, you can't actually follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit living within you. So his emphasis is around the idea of life, new creation, and the renewing of your spirit. Are you guys with me? Okay, now let's go to the next slide. This one is Luke's perspective and his view on the Holy Spirit. Let's read the first verse. Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So this is prior to Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost. 
they are instructed, go wait for me, and the Spirit will clothe you in power. So Luke's emphasis is very different than Paul. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, this is Acts chapter 1. This is just literally just a handful of days before Acts chapter 2 took place. Look at verse 8 of the same chapter. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now go to chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Last verse for this slide is Acts 18, 17. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So when you, and again, these are just some curated scripture that we're using for this context. But Luke's emphasis on Ashley's being filled with power. And he said, the Holy Spirit will clothe you with power. Now, you might ask, why is Luke emphasizing power and Paul is emphasizing life? This is Eric's opinion. Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. So what is he paying attention to? He's paying attention to people's health. So when he experiences the Holy Spirit and he sees people getting healed, signs and wonders and miracles, it is a no-brainer. His connection is like, oh, the Spirit closes with power because Jesus promised it. And it's expected, it should be expected by everyone that says yes to Jesus that the Holy Spirit in your life, it actually allows you to walk in power to see miracles and healing take place. Now, we talked about why is healing not so normative today? Why is it this complex thing that we run into, especially in this region of the country? There's a lot of perspective on this topic. We covered this last year. It's on our podcast. If you weren't here, go back and listen to it. And I give a historical context of why healing is not normative and what happened along the way. How come from the early church to modern day you see this massive decline and faith for miracles. If the talk, a podcast is titled, How Do We Get Here, Part Two, and we go through a historical theological look at why healing is not as normative today as it was in the early church. I'm not gonna unpack that now because of time. But what I want you to understand, Luke was a physician. He was passionate about seeing health on people. So when he recognized the Holy Spirit, not just for new life and generation, it's actually to see the power of God demonstrated in everyday life. So let's propose this. What do we do with two different perspectives? It's both and. Now, I understand in this room, we got a mixture of people from all kinds of backgrounds in the faith or not of the faith. And you're like, I don't know that I like this aspect, but I'm not sure about this aspect. Well, I hope today this is a breeze through. This is a very quick breeze through. I hope you understand two of the most prolific authors of the New Testament have two different views on the same spirit. It's two different perspectives. It's two different experiences. And I want to encourage you, when you approach this conversation of the Holy Spirit, it's not one or the other. It's both. So let's move into the last part, and this is where we're going to hit the eject button really fast. <laughs> and I'm going to apologize ahead of time because this may leave you hanging in, in a state of daze and confusion for a couple of weeks. So when you look at this, Luke emphasizes 
Luke, I would say Luke doesn't disagree with Paul in a sense that like when you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now in you. But Luke would say there's actually something else. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit comes again and maybe again and maybe multiple times. And then you have Paul. Paul's like, listen, when you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came in you and that's that. And why is this important? Because we have to understand that Paul's view and Luke's view are actually two different definitions and understanding and experiences of the same Spirit of God. So it brings up the question, when did the Holy Spirit come into you? Is it at salvation? Is it at when you give your life to Jesus? Or is it in a upper room context? Both and. I have friends that can give me the dates, the time, and the location when they got saved. The Holy Spirit came into them, not just in Paul's understanding, but also in Luke's understanding. I have seen with my own eyes people that just get saved in one day, and they're already seeing miracles take place when they pray for people. And then I've seen other people get saved, and they see no power from their life. And 20 years into their journey, they have this encounter with God, and all of a sudden, they are now clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, and they see miracles. And you're like, well, why? I don't have any answer to that. <laughs> it's impossible to answer the millions of algorithmic, algorithmic possibilities of how this works. The emphasis today is to understand, yes, the Holy Spirit creates you into a new creation, but the Holy Spirit is also the one that gives you power. And to understand, and then there are other people, they just seem to have encounters all the time. And other devices are just kind of standing there like, I, I'm in the same room as them. I waited longer than them. I've been following Jesus twice the time they've been following Jesus. How many can relate to that one? So let's not get hung up on is it simultaneous or is it subsequent? Let's not get hung up on like, did it happen when I got saved or is it something that happened at some point in my life? Let's get hung up on the fact of what's available. Let's get locked in on the reality that the Holy Spirit meant to make you a new creation and the Holy Spirit actually meant to fill you and to clothe you with power. And we live in a day and age where just talking about God does amazing things, but if it's not backed up with power. And this is the opportunity that we have. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to be a little nicer than I was planned on the crash landing. It's important that we are talking about any dimension of theology. We don't fall into an experience-based theology. And I have been around this conversation for the entirety of my life. And I have seen in situations where people completely create a theology of the Holy Spirit entirely on their experiences. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do. It has to be taken into account with other things. And just for context, I'm going to land right here. It's a funny place to land. But there's actually a phrase called the Wesley Quadrilateral. It would, it would develop by John Wesley and the Methodist movement. And there were four parts in shaping a theology. It was around scripture, tradition, reason, and human experience. 
And so I want to challenge there are people in this room, you have a great human experience with the Holy Spirit, but your scripture under scriptural understanding is shallow. Or maybe it's outdated in the sense of like you haven't revisited it recently. And I want to challenge you, let's shore up our own journey, whether it's experience, whether it's the scripture, whether it's human reason, or whether it's also tradition of the church for centuries. I want us to become a group of people that don't just understand and know. I also want it to be a group of people that also have the experiences. But I don't want to not have one or the other. It's really important. Could you start moving into extra biblical realities and you start creating your own universe of your perspective of how the Holy Spirit works? And it's a very dangerous thing to fall into. So let's be smart about this. Let's actually do our homework. And for some of you, you've never actually studied this topic. I hope today just inspires you to start searching the scriptures. Wow, the Spirit of God. I thought it was just to be a Christian. It is, but it's also more than that. We're going to hit the eject button. Go ahead and stand. Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can go check out our website, studiogreenville.com, and you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.